First Peter chapter 1. If you have your Bible. We'll do an intro and then we'll get into the last few verses we're going to cover. We've gone up to verses 1 through 12. So we're going to cover 13 to the end today. 1 Peter chapter 1. How about we do this? Let's read by way of introduction what we studied last week. We started at verse 6. So I'm going to start there. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Salvation's an important theme right there, because that's what we're going to draw from. And so, again, verse 5, through faith for salvation. In this you greatly rejoice, verse 6, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, again, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, who was in them, was indicating when he testified beforehand the suffering of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into." And so last week we covered salvation and this idea of grace, angels desiring to kind of look and see what this is about, this, the way God deals with people that would receive salvation. The prophets declared it, um, the Holy Spirit testifies of it, um, and the apostles spoke about it. So with all of that, what happens in salvation? What happens when a person is saved. Say it again. Angels rejoice. angels rejoice. So there's a party in heaven. The Bible declares that the angels rejoice over a person who gives their life to God. That definitely happens. So you were dead in trespasses and sins, according to Ephesians chapter 2. And then now you're made alive. You were dead, spiritually speaking. Body, soul, and spirit. Your body is your outer physical. Your soul is the real you inside. And then your spirit is dead coming into the world because we inherited a sinful nature from Adam and Eve. We're dead, spiritually speaking. Salvation enters into a person's life. When a person is saved, they are made alive when they were dead. What else? You're a new creation. So you have a new heart. A heart of stone is removed and a heart of flesh that beats after God's own heart is given to you. Salvation. What else? You're adopted instead of family. So you are adopted. All of the blessings that Jesus Christ is to receive as the son 
of God are given to us as sons and daughters of God. So we're inherited into that family. And we receive, because of that, an inheritance, beautiful, wonderful things, right? That are in store for us in heaven. And even we experience a lot of things right now. What else happens, happens at salvation? Chuck. The Holy Spirit, God himself literally tabernacles inside of you. He dwells within you. That's, I mean, your spirit's made alive. If that's not enough, now you have God living inside of you. What does he live inside of you to do? So to conform us into the image of Christ, to direct us, to guide us. How about to comfort us? He's the comforter, right? To heal us, to restore us, to... There's just a lot that goes into that, right? So now remember, salvation and this work of grace, that you have these four identifying things in that section that we covered last time by way of introduction. So I'm just introducing what we covered last week, but salvation is a big deal because Peter is going to continue on in that theme of salvation and what it looks like and what it doesn't look like. And so if the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us, if our spirit is quickened and made alive, if our heart is transformed from a heart of flesh to a heart, no, a heart of stone to a heart of flesh that beats after God's own heart, and all of these different things, can we mess that up? No. So the gift of salvation is something that is a gift. Now Peter is going to say, what it should look like practically. That we should, because of all of those things, it should, it should unfold and unravel and it should look like something. It should live out on this earth until we go home to be with God. And there are certain things that should be happening because of all of that stuff that has happened when we receive salvation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, Father, that you would speak to us through your word. We thank you for Peter, Lord, and just uh, his walk with you and his passion for you, Lord. And the things that he learned through um, pride and through trusting in himself and leaning on the arm of flesh. And we thank you, Lord, that he has given us this, his epistle, Lord, first and second Peter, that we can learn so much from. And so bless this time. Open up our eyes, our ears to hear and see what your spirit says to the church as we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name and all of God's people said. Verse 13, therefore, so everything I just said, anytime you see therefore in the Bible, you you have to ask yourself, what is it there for? It's always there for the wherefore. It's always there kind of like now it's a summary. Okay, I'm going to now... I gave you an intro. I gave you a bunch of stuff to think about. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be careful what you think about. Be careful what you allow into your thinking process. Be careful the self-talk that you experience on a daily, 
moment by moment basis. Gird up the loins of your mind. Think about a, a robe, and I'm going to run a race, and I'm, I have this robe, and it, and it, it's it's long, and and I need to gird it up. I need to cinch it up. I need to put a belt around it as I lift it so that I can have freedom and dexterity, the ability to be able to move and walk and maneuver. If not, I can trip over it. I can stumble. I can fall. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be careful what you're ingesting. Be careful who you're listening to. Be careful that if you're going to have somebody who is throwing in junk, you have something, some means to be able to counter that. And of course, we know that that to be what? The word of God, right? Philippians 4.8, one of my favorite scriptures. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are of good report, lovely. I don't know the order. I'm, I'm messing it all up. Um, let your mind dwell on these things. Beautiful verse, but let your mind, let your thoughts Make sure that they're things that are true. Make sure they're things that are lovely, of good report, excellent, praiseworthy, all of those things. Philippians 4.8 says, let your mind dwell on those things. And so for some people, it's much easier. For most people, the thought life is a battle. It's difficult. But I notice for, for the people that it's difficult, it's almost like they're just surrendered to it. Ah, whatever comes in, comes in. Yeah, whatever I put in front of me, I just put in front of me. Yeah, whoever I listen to, I just listen to. Like there's no concerted effort. There's no discipline of the mind. I'm going through the disciplines of a godly man with Richard on Sunday mornings. We meet. And one of the chapters is discipline of the mind. Do you read Christian books? Do you read Christian authors? Do you listen to messages throughout the week? Not just a Sunday and a midweek, which is great. I was thinking about this. Do the math. Man, if you came to church every Sunday, you'd come to church 52 times a year. That's awesome. Imagine you only came half the time, 25. That's still pretty cool, right? Is it right? 52 weeks out of the year? Yeah, 25, 26. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm rounding it down. Okay, so and let's say, let's say you came a midweek service half the time. There's 50. 50, that's pretty cool, right? But there's 365 days in the year. And so let's say you did that really good. You're really good, like you're faithful. Say you came 100 times. That's only one-third, right? Less than one-third. So we've got to be careful what we're ingesting. TV, news. You ever notice you, you listen to the news and you're angry or you're like just edgy? Yeah, not, not a whole lot good on there, huh? So we've got to be careful. What we're taking in mind. He says, gird up the loins of your mind. And then he says, be sober. Be sober. He's not talking about alcohol or being under the influence of drugs. It's in context to the mind. Have a sobriety in your thinking. Think biblical things. Think a biblical way. Um, Don't be intoxicated with junk (laughs) that's out there. You're ingesting. It happens to me every time I do it. Every time I do it, I watch religious television. Oh, I want to throw the remote control through the TV. Every time. Because no matter what, good teachers, good preachers, solid. They know the Bible. They're quoting scripture without looking at it. I'm like, man, eloquent in their speech. And then, boom, hook, line, and sinker. They want my money in their pocket. They want to take my money out of my pockets and put it into their pockets. 
It always comes around to that as I watch, and I'm like, ah, ah, that doctrine, right? So we got to be careful. Sobriety in our thinking is mental hygiene. It's healthy for us. So we need to be careful. Sometimes we can't get away from stuff, right? We're just in the world. We're not of the world, but we're in the world. And we take in stuff. So have something to counterbalance the things you take in. And rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's our hope. Titus 2.13 says, Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. We should live with the expectant return that Jesus Christ could come back at any moment. And that's our hope. And what is he going to reveal at that time? Incredible blessings in store for you. A world that you were created for. C.S. Lewis said, if something leaves me lacking in this life, this is a paraphrase, if something leaves me lacking in this life, it must only mean one thing. I was created for another world. We were created for another world. Something entirely different. So notice he puts it, he's elevating grace. This is the third time in this chapter that he mentions grace. In chapter 2, he mentions it in his introduction, grace and peace be, be brought to you. And then again in 7 or 9, I think it's 9, when he's talking about salvation, he mentions grace and that grace that the apostles preached. And now he's mentioning it again, the grace Uh, fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What that grace has tricked or thought some people to do is because God is so gracious, because God is so loving, because God is so forgiving, and this doctrine of grace is so eminent in the scriptures, that means I can give my life to Jesus and become a Christian and I have salvation and then I can live any way I want. And Peter says the very opposite is true. And so these are some of the results of salvation. These things will happen to people who are saved. And when these things are not happening, they might not happen for all of us for seasons. But if this is the legacy of our life and it's not happening, I would question the reality of that salvation. If these things were never a reality in my life, I would wonder, huh, am I saved? Because these things should be happening. So Peter gives them to us. First thing he says in verse 14, as obedient children... Not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. The word holy is holy other. It, it, God is holy. He's, he's separate. He's above and beyond anything that we know. And all of his attributes are filtered through The fact that he is holy, his love is holy, his grace is holy, his mercy is holy. And so as we experience all of those things, we are encouraged, again in verse 14, as obedient children. What are we obeying? What does God call us to obey? 
His word. Him. Okay? So is he calling me to obey the same exact thing he's calling you to obey right now at this moment? I say no. And this is the reason why. He knows what I need in my life. He knows what you need in your life. He knows where you're at. He knows your weaknesses. He knows the things that would bring you joy. He knows the things that would would grow you, and he knows how he's growing you. And so in that sense, he's working in your life very uniquely because you are an individual. I am an individual. And I love Monica's prayer, just how God is so not reminding us, not throwing things in our face, not holding things over our heads. God doesn't do that. He patiently, long-sufferingly contends. He just deals with us. And, and it, what does that do to the, to the Christian? That just, doesn't it melt you? Doesn't it just break you? Doesn't it like, God, why are you so good? Why are you so patient with me? Why do you suffer so long with me, God? I should have got this one. I should have got this one a long time ago. And God's like, come on, let's walk. Let's walk and talk. Grab my hand. Come on, I'm leading you. Grab my hand. Let's just walk and talk. He just wants us. He wants communion with us. And he's faithful to do those things. So the things that we're obeying are the things that he's communicating to us. Because he knows you uniquely. He knows me uniquely. So you could hear a Bible study on something, and maybe that's not necessarily what the Lord is working on you at that moment in life. And then you hear it like some years later, and it's like, oh my gosh, that Bible study was so good. Taught the same thing seven years ago. Where were you? Like, I thought you were there. Yeah, you were ready to hear it at that time. Or the way that you were ready to hear it. God had brought you through some stuff. God had taught you through some stuff. I think one of the biggest things God does in our lives is he teaches us that he's trustworthy, that he can be relied upon, that he's faithful in everything he does. That takes time. That takes time for us to learn. What in this world is like God? Nothing! Nothing is like God. And so for us to come in contact with God to come out of the world, to be given a new heart, to, be, to have the Holy Spirit dwell within us, no strings attached. He's not, he's not needing something from us. He just wants to commune with us. That takes a little while to get used to. Most people, uh, why are you being nice? Why are you being nice? They want something. Why are you being nice? What's going on? What's your ulterior motive? There's a catch. There's a catch. My dad said, there are no free lunches. Right? Salvation, a free gift, and communion with God and all of these wonderful things. So, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust. I find it interesting, the former lust, and he's going to get into it a little later, but how did they learn to, to be able to, you know, Peter as an apostle coming out of Judaism, at least Judaism of first century A.D., you know, how did they learn to be able to connect with God? It was through the law. So he's calling lust a, a desire to please God through the law. Lust is just a word for desire. So he says, yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance when you didn't know God, verse 15. But he, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. 
We should look different. We should look different. We shouldn't look anything like the world. The world is moving in this broad road in a certain direction. The things that they argue about, the things that are priorities for them, the oh, just all that stuff, that's not where we should be living. We should have one objective, to know God and to make Him known. <clears throat> to know God more, deeper, to, to just get to know and understand who He is, His character, and definitely to make Him known to other people. So be holy as I am holy, he says. Verse 17, and if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Be careful how you reverence God, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by the tradition of your fathers. And so that's that thing that he related to lust earlier. He said, not conforming yourselves to the former lust in verse 14. And then down here he says, from your aimless conduct received by the tradition from your fathers. It's relating to God through the law. I, I, I have to obey the law to be able to relate to God. He's saying, no, 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 no. Don't do that. That's how they did it in times past. That's, that, that came from the tradition of the fathers. He says, you were redeemed, not from silver, gold, but with the precious, verse 19, blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. When God purchased us, he gave us the very, very best thing that he had. Gold and silver. It's going to, right? Streets of gold. It's going to be pavement in heaven. It's, it's temporal. That's not what he bought us with. He bought us with his blood, the most precious thing that he had. And so that should mean something to us as Christians. There should be such a gratitude. There should, there should be such a thankfulness that he redeemed us out of the slave market, that we were dead and made alive, that he took that heart and transformed it into a heart of, of flesh instead of a heart of stone that the Holy Spirit now dwells in all of these wonderful things about salvation, that should mean something. And there should be such a, such a, a, a desire to just say to God with our whole life, thank you. I just want to thank you. I, I want to I thank you with my life. I want to lay it down. I want to surrender it on the altar. And, and that's just... I'm not doing that to gain salvation. I already have salvation. But my gratitude and my expression of gratitude is how I live my life. And that should mean something to us because it was the precious blood of Jesus. He goes on to say, without spot or without blemish, without spot, he indeed was, for, verse 20, foreordained before the foundation of the world. This wasn't God's second best planned. Whoops, didn't know Adam and Eve were going to do that. No, before the foundation of the world, he had this in mind, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. And so the resurrection is the proof that God's word is true. Verse 22, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, 
Love one another fervently with a pure heart. What is it going to look like loving God? Loving God is going to look like loving people. <clears throat> Bottom line. I love God. I, it's just as just his wife I don't like too much. No, you got to love his wife. You got to love his bride. Like loving his bride means you love him. And yeah, sometimes his bride can be, she's not perfect like, like he is. Well, well, yeah, but she's being perfected. And God has called you to treat his bride right. Love people. And the love that he says here is it's a brotherly love. It's phileo. Jesus would have an encounter with Peter after Peter would deny him three times after the resurrection. And in that John chapter 21, kind of the last section in the Gospel of John, you know, Peter, do you love me? Do you agape me? Lord, you know I, you know I phileo you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you, do you love me? Do you agape me? Well, Lord, you know I phileo you. I love you. I'm affectionate towards you. Tend to my flock. Peter, do you love me? Now he's frustrated. But Jesus gives him three opportunities after he denies him three times to be restored fully, asking him three times. Peter, do you love me? Do you phileo me? Lord, you know all things. You know I phileo you. Our love for God is going to be exemplified through our love tending the sheep, feeding the flock, blessing God's kids looking out for one another. And we do this in community. Again, if I went to church every Sunday, if I went to church every Wednesday or tried to go, and even if it was just halftime, that's a hundred times to be able to be with the family of God, to be able to minister to one another, um, look to be a blessing to one another, look to have conversations with one another. All of that pleases God. All of that is within the heart of God. No way did God intend us to be Lone rangers out there just, just living life outside the body of Christ. He meant us to be in community. He meant us to be doing this thing with one another, holding one another accountable, but also encouraging one another and rejoicing with one another and crying with one another, hurting with one another. God meant that to be that way. And so here in this section, as he clo- closes this chapter, he says, that if we're going to do what he's calling us to do in that first part, it's going to look through obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Verse 23, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withers, And its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word by which, which by the gospel was preached to you. So we are temporal. The word will endure forever. If we're going to be hanging out with one another, if we're going to be loving one another, that love needs to be based on God's word. God's word. We live in a very fluffy culture. We were watching something where you're not even allowed to say that somebody's fat anymore in this country. Now you have to like, you have these little words, well, he's a little heavy, or well, he's a little, 
Just, just a little way. Horizontally challenged? That's yeah. height-wise? Okay. When we communicate in this culture, it's this phileo out of love, a brotherly love, but it has to be based on the truth. The truth is the word of God. You know, we're, we're living in very trying times where, you know, do I go to a friend's wedding if I know that there's sin? Do I go to a gay friend's wedding if I know that there's, you know, will, will that mean I'm supporting it? Will it mean that, you know, I'm rejecting them? All this stuff, you know, and, and, and it's hard to navigate through a lot of that. And I know that we have opportunities to be able to speak truth into people's lives, but, well, I don't want to come across. And then you fill in the blank. The word of God is going to endure forever. And if we're going to truly love one another, we have to be willing to offend. It's not us who's offending. It's the word of God that is the offense. It is the word of God that is the offense in this culture. And we have to be willing to be able to speak it. And again, it's truth in love. But I see so many just love. Love wins. And so we see all of this fluffy stuff taking place in our culture. Where's the voice of the Christian? Where's the Christian that's willing to, to get off? It just, just, ah, this is what the Word of God says. I got to give it to you. I love you. I love you. Can I say it 20 times before I say it? I love you. But I'm telling you this because I love you. You're heading for disaster. You're going to crash and burn. I can see it. This is clear. Stevie Wonder could see this as clear as it is. So I think we got to be willing sometimes to have those hard conversations. It's love that does that. And that's true love. We have access to the word of God that is not going to, it endures forever. And he says, now this is the word which, uh, word which by the gospel was preached to you. Imagine if somebody gave you a fluffy gospel message. It wouldn't be good news, would it? Well, all roads lead to God. Live your life any way you want. And eh, maybe when it's all said and done, God will like just pardon you. No, that's not the gospel. Imagine if that was the gospel we heard and nobody ever told us. I have a friend, Bill Buffington. He's a Calvary Chapel pastor in Inglewood. And he got saved and went and pretty much let his aunts have it. You guys are Christians and you guys never shared the gospel with me and you knew I was running in gangs and on my way to hell and you never shared. And they were like, yeah, you were far gone. We never thought you'd receive the Like, no, you got to tell me. Like, your responsibility to warn the Bible clearly tells us that. So I think we got to be careful to speak the truth. If we're going to say we're loving and we're like God and we're holy, we're different from this whole culture, then we got to share the word. And it's the word of God that can transform. And know the scriptures. It's interesting because there's always this argument, you know, is it the Ruach or is it the Logos? These two words for word. He uses them both in this final section. It's both. It's the timely word that is directed. It's like the little, you know, switchblade sword, you know, that just, boom, got it, I got you. And it's the big word. It's the sword as well. That's the two-edged sword that cuts in, cuts out. So it's both. It's knowing the concepts of the word, and it's knowing the the word fitly or rightly spoken, as it says in, I think, Timothy. Okay? Questions, comments, concerns.